For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your host, Johnny McEwen. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, and I'm going to be talking about the week that was in sport. Transfer deadline day has come and gone in the Premier League. Patrick Reed is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. The Super Bowl is this Sunday. But first, this week we enter week seven of the NBA season. The NBA operating under more normal circumstances, traveling between stadiums and cities, unlike the NBA bubble in Orlando. Another degree of normalcy, fans have even been reintroduced back into certain stadiums. Last night, a few were gathered to take in the Hawks against the Lakers. LeBron James actually got into an altercation with some of the fans in the stands. A man kind of heckled at him. The man's wife got involved. LeBron said that there might have been some alcoholic beverages involved. The referees asked for the fans to be ejected from the stadium, and they were. LeBron said that he didn't think they needed to be ejected, but they were. Um... Can you imagine that you've gotten courtside tickets to go and see the first possible game back? You love the NBA. You sit in front row and you think to yourself, a couple drinks in, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get into a verbal altercation with LeBron James and get myself ejected out of this place like the good old days. Anyways, fans back in the stands in the NBA and it's a, it's a good thing. And you can't talk about the NBA at the minute without talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, James Harden has made the move from Houston to Brooklyn, joining the likes of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, making for potentially one of the most interesting power threes the NBA has ever seen. But the Nets have been facing a bit of difficulty, including on Sunday when they were playing in the nation's capital against the Washington Wizards. 149-146 the final score, and... Nobody played any defense in this game. I watched. It was just, there was no defense being played at all. And seemingly, that's how the Nets think that they're going to win the Eastern Conference this year, by not playing any defense and having three of the best scorers just go out and throw it down every single night. And to me, that's not the kind of strategy or thinking that's going to win this team a championship. The Eastern Conference is so competitive this year with the likes of Giannis and the Bucks, Joel Embiid and the 76ers, the Celtics were always right in it. And even down and nearing the bottom of the standings with the Raptors and the Wizards and the Heat, I mean, the Heat are underperforming for sure, but there's a lot of season left. And the Nets thinking and strategy of we're just going to outscore every opponent isn't going to win them in the Eastern Conference, at least not in my book. I'm not trying to bash them or anything, but you can't really bash three of the best players in the league in the last 10 years. But they have the opportunity to do something so special this year. And I would hate to see them waste it based on a thinking of of a way to play the game that's going to ultimately run them into a lot of difficulty. Hopefully games like Sunday are an anomaly because the way it finished was crazy. The, the steal right at the end of the game, Westbrook makes the three, but you know, th- those, those kind of losses are tough. I mean, it was a tight fought game, but when the game's total score 
in four quarters is nearly 150 points, you know that defensively you are not doing something right. And that's the you know a, a huge part of the thinking that's going to have to now take place in Brooklyn. Do they look to the NBA to find another person to bring in to supplement them on defense? I don't know that that's even necessary. I think that you've got a really great young team. Proof of that was from the bubble last year. The Nets played great playoff basketball with none of their stars, with just the young foundation of the team. And I know they've moved a couple of those pieces away, but there is a young, great ball club there with the leaders of Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. I think that they don't need to get out any more pieces. I think it's about a shift in the mentality and the, and the thought of the way that they're playing and just adjusting to try and be a more rounded ball club. The Nets face off against the Clippers today and the Toronto Raptors on Friday. More coverage of the NBA on the All-American Brit podcast in the next couple of weeks to come, so be sure to look out for that. January transfer window has closed in the Premier League yesterday. Notable signings were Ben Davis and Ozan Kabak. Centre-backs on their way to Liverpool. Liverpool have been in desperate need of centre-backs with Virgil van Dijk and now Joel Matip out for the season. Davis and Kabak will be welcome additions to Liverpool as they look to go back-to-back in the Premier League. Josh Madger is set to make his Premier League debut, joining Fulham from Bordeaux. Madger did gain some notoriety for being in the Netflix documentary series Sunderland Till I Die. If you haven't watched it, I thoroughly recommend it. It's all about a club that has had Premier League status, that is in the lower divisions, fighting against relegation and trying to make a comeback. You get a real insight on how lower level clubs work from the inside, how the ownership deals with them. Definitely worth checking out if you're interested in that. Madger scored nearly 20 goals for Sunderland before letting his contract expire and joining Bordeaux. He'll be getting his first Premier League minutes with Fulham. And a big name in English football has found a new home in English football. Jesse Lingard will go on loan from Manchester United to West Ham. I think that this is the sleeper move of the window. It's been talked about for a while that Lingard would be going out on loan somewhere, not seeing as much playing time in Manchester as he has in his entire career. And I think that this move to West Ham with more regular time on the pitch, he can really define how good of a midfielder he is. In 2018 in the World Cup, Lingard really was the standout for me. And he was the perfect combination to play between Ali and Sterling because he's kind of a weird combination of Ali and Sterling. He's got great pace, slick movements, great at chances on goal like Sterling, but has some midfield domination, a bit taller. You know, he, he can really play in the middle of the park. His form has dropped and so did his playing time but the competition for midfield playing time at Man U right now is so fierce you're always going to play Paul Pogba you're more than likely going to play Fred you're always going to play Bruno Fernandes then you've got Matic, Juan Mata, Scott McTominay, Donny van der Beek I mean there's a ton of competition for spots in midfield so to now get him uh, an opportunity at West Ham and more playing time I think could really work Ross Barkley went on loan to Aston Villa at the beginning of the season, and I think this move sets up quite similarly. Barkley went and kind of unlocked Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is having a fantastic season this year, and I think he was always going to, but the bolstering of the midfield and what Barkley's been able to do, I think has been a big addition. So similarly, if Lingard can go to West Ham and unlock the likes of Mikel Antonio, Yarmolenko, he's going to be seeing regular playing time with Declan Rice in the midfield. So I think he has the opportunity to not only show off 
why he deserves minutes in this league, but why West Ham are a threat in this league. Currently sitting fifth in the table, Lingard only makes them better, so West Ham definitely a team to keep an eye on. They play Aston Villa tomorrow. Lingard is set to make his debut, and then they take on Fulham on Saturday. Action from the Premier League today. Arsenal have been defeated by Wolverhampton Wolves. David Luiz was sent off with a red card, giving up a penalty at the end of the first half. Wolverhampton tied 1-1. They came out in the second half and scored the winner. 2-1, the victory for Wolves. Sheffield United also defeating West Bromwich Albion. They lost to Man City on Saturday, but of course they beat Man United 2-1 Wednesday in that shocker. So Sheffield United on a good stretch of form don't know that it'll be enough to bring them out of bottom place at the table, but good to see Sheffield United getting a couple of wins under their belt. Crystal Palace defeated Newcastle 2-1, and the big story in the Premier League from today is that Manchester United defeated Southampton 9 goals to nil. This has happened on three other occasions, once being Manchester United beating Ipswich Town at Old Trafford in 1995. It happened in 2019 when Leicester City beat Southampton 9-0. And it's happened again today to Southampton. Nine goals to nil. History being made today in the Premier League. Thomas Tuchel secured his first points as Chelsea manager with a 2-0 victory over Burnley on Sunday. He has a big test on Thursday, Chelsea versus Tottenham, a big derby. And then on Sunday, Man City versus Liverpool. So tons of action to look forward to in the Premier League. Super Bowl Sunday is this Sunday, almost like a national holiday here in the US. Everyone looking forward to the big game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as I said last week, the whole conversation around the Super Bowl will be dominated by Brady versus Mahomes. And how did I get that one right? (laughs) Brady obviously going into his 10th Super Bowl, looking for his seventh ring. I outlined his records last episode. I mean, just really hard to rival. But the conversation around Brady Mahomes is that... Patrick could rival Tom for the title of GOAT, greatest of all time in the NFL. There's been so much GOAT talk in regards to the NFL this week. It's been almost exhaustive, but look, here I am talking about it now. Tony Romo, former quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and color commentator who will sit alongside Jim Nance in the audio booth for CBS during the Super Bowl. You hear him on Sunday, he gave an interview and he said, quote, this is the biggest game Patrick Mahomes will ever play in for the rest of his career. It's the only way to catch Tom Brady. If he loses this game, he cannot catch Tom Brady, in my opinion. Patrick Mahomes is 25 years old, preparing for his second Super Bowl. Tom Brady is 43 years old, preparing for his 10th. How is it that this will be the defining game of Mahomes' career? He hopefully has another, if he can play like Brady, he's got another 20 years to try and rival his kind of credentials, try and get to 10 Super Bowls, try and eclipse it. How is it that this is the defining game for his career? I think it's partly Tony just trying to build up the drama and make sure people watch on Sunday. Enough people are going to people going to watch the Super Bowl. People are going to watch the Super Bowl. They don't need to get this take that Tom Brady is going to be challenged by Mahomes already. Mahomes' career is going to be defined by the game on Sunday. So if Patrick Mahomes wins on Sunday. He's now the greatest quarterback of all time. He's he's caught Tom Brady. He can catch Tom Brady. What if he won, wins the Super Bowl and then never goes to another one again? 
Will he have caught Tom Brady? Will he have eclipsed him as the greatest of all time if he just wins two Super Bowls by the age of 25? And that's all he's done? Commentators get kind of lost in this debate for me sometimes with the the greatest of all time talk. Is it Mahomes? Is it Brady? Is it Rogers? The NBA has done it to itself with Michael Jordan. It's uh, MJ is the great MJ is the goat. But does LeBron challenge him? Does Kobe challenge him? Look, Bill Russell won eleven championships. He's got the most of any, but he's never in the conversation of greatest of all time because there are intangibles. There are different elements to it. And there are parts of Tom Brady that some people don't like. There are aspects to his game that aren't as complete as some other players. He's gone on record and said, I'm not that athletic, <laughs> Tom Brady. But his records should speak for themselves. I mean, 10 Super Bowls, seven rings. Mahomes has an opportunity to come close to that. He's got a lot of career left. But I think we're missing this really, this big moment. We're missing the moment when we talk, when we distract ourselves talking about this. Two defining players of the position. Two of the greatest to have ever played the position. Two people in this greatest of all time conversation facing off each other on the same day on the same field. MJ and Kobe never really went at it on the court. This is an opportunity to see two of the greatest go against each other. And let's stop pegging them up to one another or telling Mahomes that this is a defining moment in his career. Of course, it's a huge moment in his career. Can't be the defining moment of his career. Big page in the book, big moment. And if he can do it against Tom Brady, he can kind of make an argument towards saying, look, I've, I've, I've seen the best and I've taken on the best and I've beat the best and I'm going to be the best. I mean, it, it paints itself perfectly. If the Chiefs come through and win, there's a huge conversation about a shift of power. And, you know, who. but to say that this is the defining game in Patrick Mahomes' career denies him of the opportunity to have a great career. And I think that Mahomes will. I think that this is not the last that we'll see of Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And Brady now talking about playing past the age of 45. So maybe it's not the last that we'll see of Tom Brady either. Tony Romo's comment got me really fired up. I'm really looking forward to this Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Tom Brady and the Bucks going against Mahomes and the Chiefs. I've got the Bucks. I said it here first. You can hold me to it. Sunday, be sure to watch the Super Bowl. And then on Tuesday, here on the All-American Brit, it'll be all about the Super Bowl and all things NFL. So be sure to check that out. And to the world of golf, the Farmers Insurance Open was held this weekend at Torrey Pines in San Diego, California. Torrey Pines will play host to the U.S. Open this year, the first time that they're hosting the U.S. Open since 2008. Tiger Woods infamously beat Rocco Mediate in a Monday playoff, a classic in U.S. Open history. So looking forward to seeing the course again in June for the hosting of the major. It'll be playing much different than it did this week. A lot of wet weather here on the West Coast, making for softer playing conditions at Torrey Pines. 14 under was the winning score. I imagine at the US Open it'll be playing a touch harder than that, but Patrick Reed's 14 under dominated the field, but that was not the only news that he was making. Unfortunately, Patrick was involved in yet again another rules scandal. To really understand this story, we have to go back to the Hero World Challenge in 2019. Patrick Reed found himself in a waste bunker. These are different than normal bunkers. Waste bunkers can stretch all the way alongside of a hole, like rough, and the area of a waste bunker can lead into a desert. And it's not like a traditional bunker where a bunker is submerged and defined by an area of grass. Waste bunkers can stretch on for an entirety of a golf course. 
In a waste bunker, you can ground your club, meaning you can let the club rest behind the ball on the ground, unlike in a traditional bunker where you cannot let the club touch sand until you are making your stroke on the ball. The rules of golf state that at no point, whether in the fairway, rough, bunker, waste bunker, can you purposefully try to improve your lie. While in the waste bunker, Reed clearly grounded his club, which he's entitled to do, but during his practice swing, he swept a ton of sand from behind the ball. You can see it really clearly from the video replay, just tons of sand almost being shoveled back from behind his ball. It's funny, when the announcer watches it as well, he says, as you can see, he sweeps some of the sand, or oh, oh, he did it again. He literally does it twice. He, can, he really kind of shovels back a ton of sand with these two practice swings. The PGA reviewed the tape, and they decided that a two-stroke penalty should be dealt to Reed for actively trying to improve his lie. Reed denied that he ever tried to improve his lie, that they were just looking at a, a camera and that if they'd been there in person, they would have seen that he was just taking practice works and that he wasn't actually trying to shovel any sand back where the video tells a very different story than what Patrick Reed is telling. Ricky Fowler, who had played with Reed that day, came out of the scoring tent and there were a ton of reporters watching this footage that was the PGA was using to determine whether or not there should be a decision in regards to a penalty. And Ricky went, whoa, what is that? I mean, what do you even have to review? Brooks Kepka, major champion, was very vocal after the incident, saying that golfers are so tentative in sand with knowing that they couldn't stroke a, a, you know, a penalty if they did ground the club in a traditional bunker. They're so tentative in sand that they would 100% be able to feel the sand being swept back during those practice strokes. That Reed said that he never actively in, in, you know, tried to improve his lie. There's no way that when he took that practice swing back, the, the golfer with the kind of sensitivity that it takes to be able to play at this level doesn't feel all of that sand being moved back. He received a lot of scrutiny for this moment. But anyway, so to this Saturday, Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. Been, it's been quite a bit of wet weather on the West Coast. And when that happens during a golf tournament and it affects the conditions of the course, some balls will be deemed unplayable and embedded. An embedded golf ball is when a ball comes to rest in its own divot. This occurs when courses are wet and, you know, the ball lands really hard and digs down into the dirt. I mean, imagine you're standing in front of a big soggy patch of mud and you have a golf ball in your hand and you just hurl it down into the mud. Half of the ball will go down into the mud and the other half will be showing. That's an embedded golf ball. And when that occurs, you're able to remove the ball from its divot, take it back, take a drop and take free relief and be able to play on from there. Patrick Reed took on the 10th hole. He hit his drive into a bunker, and then from that bunker, he hit even further to the left into the rough. It was over a bit of a hill as well, so from his angle where he was watching the ball, the flight of the ball, there was a bit of glare as well. He didn't see the ball come to rest. He didn't see it land. None, no one else in the group saw it land. He then walked up to where the official was and where the volunteer was, where there was a flag next to his golf ball, and he asked the volunteer, did the ball bounce? She said, no, I didn't see it bounce. This is crucial piece of information a ball cannot be a plugged golf ball if the ball has bounced imagine you're standing in front of that same pile of mud and instead of throwing the golf ball at the pile you just let it drop let gravity do its own work it's going to just kind of rest on top of the mud it's not going to be an embedded ball which is what you're allowed to gain relief from the volunteer said she didn't see it bounce patrick then looked over to the group and said she didn't see it bounce so i'm going to check if it's embedded he reaches down into thick Tory Pines rough and just plucks his golf ball out almost immediately, it seemed. And then he started feeling around inside, trying to feel where there could be an impression mark. 
he says, I think I feel, I feel a lip. And he said to his caddy, get a rules official. I want to see that I can take relief. The rules official came over and said, you know, what's going on? He said, I, I think I've got an embedded ball. And he went, well, where's the ball? And he went, well, it's over here now. And he said, you, you took the ball out? And he went, yeah, well, just feel. Well, that's the only way you can feel if it's been embedded. And so he had the official feel and he said, yeah, I think that's a lip. Okay, yeah, take relief. Patrick took a drop, chipped it on up, made par on the hole. In looking at video footage, however, the ball seemed to bounce after his shot out of the bunker. The volunteer didn't see it. Patrick didn't see it. The rest of the golfers didn't see it. But the ball had bounced on its way to resting in the rough, meaning there's no way that the ball could have been embedded. If the ball had bounced, there's no way that it can be plugged and the relief cannot be taken. The PGA did review the footage and... Even though the ball did bounce, and it's clearly shown in the video that it bounced, Patrick did everything that he could in the moment to deal with the situation, which is true. None of the other golfers saw it bounce. The volunteer didn't see it bounce. He comes up to where the ball was. He's entitled to remove it. He's entitled to do all the things that he did. He even brought a rules official over to double-check that there was an embedded ball. But the truth is, the ball did bounce, and there was no way that it could have been embedded. What he found was something not an, uh, an embedded ball mark. It was something else that he felt in that rough or, you know, whatever it was. And the energy that Patrick had after the incident was that I did, you know, PJ said I did everything right. There's nothing else I could have done. You know, this is just the way it is. This is, you know, and having no kind of awareness that he's dealt with this in the past. He then went on Twitter later that night and said, Rory McIlroy did the exact same thing, put him on blast as well, which is kind of an odd way to go about it. Sunday, as you're leading a tournament, you're going to go tweeting that, hey, look at this guy did this before me. I think that the ruling on embedded balls should be looked at. As far as the rules of golf work, it does make sense. If a ball's been embedded in wet conditions, you're allowed to remove the ball from the divot, take free relief and carry on playing. But in a tournament condition, each ball should be considered before it is removed from its pitch mark. The ball is kind of sacred. That's kind of the whole mentality around playing golf is, you know, you don't touch the ball or you only play one ball. The ball is sacred. So to see him just kind of remove it like that was quite jarring. And he had no remorse, seemingly, for the way the situation went, saying that he did everything perfect, that the ball was embedded, this, that and the other. But there's video footage showing that it clearly couldn't have been. I think that it's tough to deal with this rule because in terms of pace of play, you don't want guys asking every time that they get a wet ball to have an official come and look at it. It would drive everybody crazy. And I don't know what the exact ruling should be on how to deal with these kinds of situations. But the callousness and the, and the kind of brashness that he did in dealing with it all himself, I think that maybe just the rule change of having another player come over and look over your shoulder while you are lifting a golf ball should occur. Sportsmanship is of the utmost in golf. And this moment seemed to violate it. Patrick Reed won his ninth PGA Tour victory this Sunday at Torrey Pines. But there will be a cloud of confusion and, and, a, and a big question mark that hovers over this for all time just because of the nature in which it happened. Patrick Reed gets tons of flack on the Internet, and I'm not trying to add to that. But there was a callousness in the way that this situation was handled that it, hopefully it isn't in the future. PGA action moves to Arizona this week. The Waste Management Phoenix Open to be held in TPC Scottsdale. Phoenix, Arizona, known affectionately as the People's Open. Always a well-attended event, and while it won't be as attended as usual, there will be fans at the Par 3 16th, known as the loudest hole in golf, so be sure to look out. Fun event on the PGA Tour this weekend.
that was this week in sport for the all american brit podcast on believe podcasting network be sure to follow me at aa brit pod on instagram and twitter let me know what you made of the stories what you think i should be covering super bowl sunday this sunday be sure to check out my super bowl special episode next tuesday for the all american brit podcast on believe podcasting network i am your host johnny McEwen, and until next time take care for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.